Hey, what's lefty. going on? Hey, Lefty. Hey, Lefty, what you say? What's going on? Welcome back in second episode, Lucky Lefty Podcast with the lefties. Got the bells up, baby. Different, baby. I am coming, coming different this time. We coming different this time. At SD Two Mics, and of course the original lefty, Lucky Lefty himself, Malik Zaire, out there in the sunshine. What's good with you, bro? So another week too uh, for everybody. You know, I think this is be exciting to see how we can uh, not only ourselves and my high school team do well with we got a rivalry week but also Notre Dame you know coming home playing a good home game open the season with all those fans coming in so I'm excited to see how we figure out these week two matchups man we're going to talk about a lot on this episode we're going to talk NFL we're going to get into Notre Dame preview week two college football some big games get your keys for the game and then we're going to go ahead and talk about the price of greatness and delve a little bit into what Naomi Osaka has been dealing with, having to step away from the game. And the time she steps away from the game, you know, we have two more teenagers on the female side in the finals of the U.S. Open, which is amazing. Getting there is one thing, but staying there is a whole nother beast. Whole nother beast. We'll get into that. And then I want to talk, we're going to talk a little Cam Newton today, some interesting uh, points made by him. And it's yeah, to say. in their sit down on his YouTube page. But first of all, let's start off. The NFL kicked off last night. And if you thought Tom Brady getting the ball with a minute 22 was going <laughs> to lose that game, I I don't know what's wrong with you or I don't know where you've been. I just felt like at, at that point, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have walked the field goal kicker out on the field. I'm like, if we kick this field goal and make it, we're losing anyway. So I'm going for it because I need to touch down and I need 30 more seconds off this clock because there's no way in the world with a minute 22 that everybody in the world didn't see the outcome that we ended up seeing coming. Yeah, Tom Brady's one of those rare, rare, maybe one-on-one that you just know the game's over if you give him enough time. And in those situations, you can't go with the conventional football knowledge of trotting out that field goal. You know, you got to go for the goal because you know if he gets the ball back, he's going to convert it. I think Tom Brady's just maxed out the NFL game. He's one of those rare, rare guys, if, if ever, that's just maxed out his, his most potential, yeah. the highest ceiling possible. And, you know, similar to Floyd Mayweather, a guy that's just maxed out boxing. It's nothing you can do greater, nothing else left on the table because you're so far from somebody even catching you that – you know, it's, it's kind of expected at this point. He's the game ender. Man. So Tampa Bay did what they did. Nine-point favorite. Uh, that Everybody that was throwing money down on the Bucks excited about them bringing all 22 back starters. Yeah. He lost big last night. Dak Prescott, though. It, it's safe to say he outplayed Tom Brady last night. And with all the question marks surrounding coming back from the ankle and then – the arm injury, tendonitis during camp, like the performance he put on his receivers, Amari and CD Lamb. CD's touchdowns. Man. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Dak, in my opinion, two years coming off of an injury like that and to be able to play really good is just 
is a testament to why they paid him all that money. I think Jerry Jones has got to retract some of those statements he made about maybe paying him too much in the moment or yeah. too much for the market. But I think the Tampa Bay's defense is very similar to how our defense is structured at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to give up big plays, and we're going to give up a lot of stats to a lot of teams, but we're going to hit home when it matters, and we're going to at least – Make it entertaining, and I think it was. I was a lot of similarities. I think the Tampa Bay's biggest weakness is their their secondary. Our biggest weakness is our secondary, and we know teams are going to attack that, but we're not going to change the aggressive style. I mean, they had what seven sacks or so. They had a lot of pressures on on Dak Dak Prescott, especially Vita Vea and that defensive line. So they they're going to get pressure on the quarterback, but they're going to give up explosive plays. But that fits in the tie bowl scheme of providing pressure with some man on the back end. So with Dak Prescott and that explosive, probably one of the most talented offenses in the league with Dallas, they're going to get some points if you get some man-on-man matchups and give Dak some time. So uh, it surprisingly is the best that could work for both teams. Yeah, uh, you, the, the offense played and did what they were supposed to do and put up the points with the type of talent they had. And Tampa Bay looked like the team we always thought they would. Uh, from a, a conversion and execution standpoint, everybody in the stadium and on TV knew when Tom Brady got that ball with a minute left, they were going to go down for the victory and the kick, not even for the touchdown, but you knew it was going to be a kick. Yeah. Now Tom is going to game control that thing to the end. Man, Vita Veda is like that cousin you grew up with that doesn't realize how big he is. And you always have to tell them, like, man, you play too much, fam. Yeah, you know how strong he is. He'll right. you on your chest, but it really feel like a punch. You gotta, right. You got to calm down, man. Man, he was just pushing the interior of the offensive line around all night. I just felt bad for the centers and the guards having to deal with him. Man. They did as well as they could. I mean, you see, they gave up some penalties, too. Gave yeah. Hold it. I mean, but you got 350 pounds, and you can't stop him from moving forward. Uh, that's <laughs> – that's why the NFL is a tough sport. You know, I don't think anybody can just get in there. Safe to say this is the best collection of talent Tom Brady has ever played with. Well, when you had Randy Moss on that team, I don't think they got a Randy Moss. And on top of that, they got some guys that are they did have They did have Moss and Gronk at the same time. But you got Godwin who's fumbling the ball. You got Rojo who's fumbling. Oh, that was a good hit, though. That was a good hit on the ball. Great hit, but you got to be aware, you know. You got to be aware. Two hands, two arms and hands and everything when you're in that, that trenches. Especially that late in the game. Oh. That's I mean, Give credit to Dallas. They, they, I mean, defensively, I don't think they expected to get that many turnovers. But uh, with, with the kicker missing all them kicks, I felt like they walked out with their head at least high. Man, I can't even call them turnovers. Those are they, Those are takeaways. They were taking the ball with hits, punching the ball out. Man, they did. They tried to get every running back on the roster to fumble. Oh, yeah. I mean, every running back was on that cut. You messing with Tom Brady's numbers right there. Don't mess around and fumble that rock. Tom was upset, but the face he had on the sideline when uh, the field goal kicker for Dallas, Zerline, made that field goal, that 49-yarder, to put them ahead. They zoomed in on him, and I was like, God It's over. God, God. <laughs> so how did he keep getting positioned to be able to go down with just a minute left every time? It was like that with Kansas City. It's like that last week. I mean, he's the, the way that the game just falls into his lap where he is in the prime spot to finish every time is 
is is pretty rare. I haven't seen something like that either. Look, the biggest stat of the night was not the turnovers. It was not Dak Prescott throwing 400 yards. The biggest stat of the night is the fact that the Dallas Cowboys attempted five field goals. <laughs> when you look, when you play Tom Brady, you can't have that many field goal attempts. This is not soccer. One, maybe two. Maybe. You have to put sevens on the board. You have and they missed those field goals too to show you why you can't just be kicking the versatility. Yeah, they made three, they missed two. One of them that he missed was a 60-yarder right before a half. And actually, that was like the best kick he had all night. He almost nailed it. Almost he nailed just it. barely missed it to the left and a little bit short. So I think for me, this season, that was a foreshadowing of this season, right? Because I think this season is going to play out totally different than most people expect. So you think Dak's going to have around 50 pass attempts per game? I mean, he had 58. No, I think – and I think Mike McCarthy was pretty forthcoming last night after the game saying, based upon the front seven we were facing, yeah. there was no way we were going to pound Ezekiel Elliott up the, up the middle for 20 carries. Not without no Zach Martin. No. Shout out to no, the Right. Not without Zach Martin. Shout out ND. So, yeah, they went outside. They knew they were going to get the one-on-ones. They identified Dean mm-hmm. as the missing link, and they went at him hard. He was chasing the whole game. The whole game. I felt bad for him, man. I felt yeah. bad for him. It's like, man, stop picking on this kid, man. But that's what oh, you man. have to do. And they zoomed in, too, and they got his face looking like he just Right, looking up in the, the sky. <laughs> looking lost. Yo, looking like, expose your weaknesses. That's right, what. right. So – Amari, I think Amari Cooper ended up with 13 catches on the night. I mean, but you you also got to know that you got CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper and even Michael Gallup, some of the top considerably 15 receivers in the league. Yeah, Michael Gallup had a great first half right before he got injured in the third quarter. If they had him in the fourth quarter, who knows what would have happened. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it was a great opening act for the 2021 NFL season. Absolutely mm-hmm. wonderful. So let's go down the list. I'm going to give you a team, and I want to – we're not talking about – see, we spend it different. We're not about to sit up here and predict records and all that stuff for NFL teams. Let's cut to the chase. We want to talk about teams that legitimately have a chance to win the Super Bowl. If you feel like a team has a legitimate shot to win the Super Bowl, you tell me to hold up. Okay. And then you go into why. If not, I'll just keep going to the next team. Yeah. All right. Teams that teams that know that they'll be in the Super Bowl, possibly yeah, they have a legitimate shot to get to the Super Bowl. Like if you don't think they have a legitimate shot, I'll just keep going. Just keep going, guys. I'll it. just keep going. All right. The Tennessee Titans. They got a shot. Well, you got the best running back in the last two years in the league, and on top of that, they they got a good front seven and that back end they shirt up. I, I just, you know, it's going to come down to Tannehill in that playoff game, but Derrick Henry running the ball with his coat outside, it proves, even when Baltimore was good a couple years ago in that playoffs, that that running game is effective. Run play action is how you get it done. So they, they're set up for a team to, to to really make a run in that end. The Green Bay Packers. When you got Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams in that offense, and Matt LaFleur, shout out another ND guy. How can you take him out? I got him in the NFC, at least in the NFC Championship again like last year. New Orleans Saints. I'll They're going to be a lot of W's. I'll keep going. I'll keep going. You don't believe in Jameis? 
I love James. I'm glad he gets to start. Buy us off of last week. Yeah, I'm glad he gets to start a full season after Tannehill. I mean, without the uh, the other quarterback BS, you know, we just want right. to ride it out this year. Indianapolis Colts. I'm not a big fan of Carson, but I do think they got a good team with Darius Leonard and, and Q Nelson as as offense and defensive of juggernauts. I mean, they you know both Pro Bowl in their position. And they got some good surrounding players, but Carson Wentz, I don't think he'll get it done this year. Mm. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They'll be playing in that for that final. You saw what they brought out, even with the mistakes. You saw what they brought out. They'll be playing in that Super Bowl. Man, Antonio Brown already a Hall of Famer. People forget, right? People forget about their run in Pittsburgh. With all they the open field annex, they forget about his production on the field. And he's not a young guy. He no. looking fresher than the young guys. No, so, he he hit Jordan. No, he hit Brown with the smoothest hezzy last night on that fly route. I mean, it, he going on the slant and they'll relax. And next thing you know, he upfield and turning up to find you every time. It's crazy. Man, it's crazy. The Cleveland Browns. They'll be playing an AFC Championship, I think, this year. I mean, that you got, right. you got uh, Miles Garrett and Clowney. And they got that defense looking good in the linebacker in the secondary position. And Baker Mayfield has no more excuses. He's got everything he needs around him. And you got the running game with Chubb. Listen, the Browns are something to reckon with. Can Baker beat Patrick Mahomes in the end? That's that saga we're going to see this year, I think. Buffalo Bills. I'm not a big fan on Josh Allen. Everybody behind the hype. He's a top five quarterback in the league, blah, 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 blah. Their defense is great, but – I think Baltimore, if they see Baltimore in the playoffs this year, I think Josh Allen and Lamar got a little rivalry going. Yeah, that should be good. You just segue perfectly. Uh, my guy, I feel bad for him, man. They keep losing players left and right. One thing about it, Harbaugh reminds me of Tomlin, right? Yeah. He's such a great coach. It doesn't matter who he has on the roster. His team is going to yeah. win games. He's going to find a way to win games. They're a great team with a, a next-man-in mentality. They're tough. And and they have great guys that are utility players that can fill in positions and still have an impact. I mean, they're a physical football team. So anytime you're physical, you know, you may be down some, but the next guy is going to be a good replacement. Man, let's go to the NFC West, and I want to run down a list of teams. Player with the probably the most pressure on him in the NFL is Matt Stafford. But they got a chance. Will the Rams, will the Rams be hosting a home game in the Super Bowl? They'll make the playoffs for sure, and they might get close. But, yeah, it's going to come down on Matthew Stafford. You, you got yeah. the defense sealed up in the running game. You can do different things with Sean McVay and what he's able to put together. So, can Stafford with uh, no excuses? Because he's not with the Lions. The Lions is easy scapegoat. Right. Uh, the, 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 sorry, the sorry old Lions. But uh, this time he's got a team where they got a – very similar to the championship team they had when they played Tom Brady. But – is an upgrade at that quarterback position. So I think they do have a chance. Ooh. I don't know who's going to be quarterbacking, Trey or Jimmy, but the San Francisco 49ers at the end of the season. Legitimate shot to make it to the Super Bowl? Not the Super Bowl, but they can make the playoffs for sure. I think Trey's too young, and then Jimmy is Jimmy. He's going to give you some turnovers or get hurt when you least expect it. Can't leave Uncle Russ out. Can't do it. Can't do it. Russell Wilson, 
he's a he's a fighter. And what's interesting about Russ is that his second half of the season hasn't been as good as always his first half, the last two. Get the man an offensive line, man. Yeah, but that's just not at this point, he's 10 plus years in the league. They're not they're not gonna change it if they haven't changed it already. So man, you know what? What is wrong with I feel like the formula that they had is tried and true and will always win. Like I can't tell you you'll win games in the NFL and win championships if you throw the ball 50 times and put everything on the back of your quarterback. Like the quarterback has been glamorized and marketed as the holy grail of positions in all the sports, right? It's the most important player. And the greatest game in the world. You ain't got to do the air quotes. It's true. It's no, no, true. <laughs> you speaking from um, you speaking from biased lips, bro. <laughs> you speaking from biased lips right now. So I'm gonna keep it a bean. I'm gonna keep it a bean. So when you look at that, dominant on both lines, punishing running back, punishing secondary. Bobby Wagner leading your linebackers. And Russ just had to throw the ball 25 to 30 times a game. It was tried and true. It was dominant. It will dominate today. It will dominate today. I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. Tell me why. Tell me why. And I know you're going to stall at it, and I know everybody out there is going to laugh at me, especially after last night's game. I am a Dallas Cowboys fan. Oh, that's unfortunate. Long-time Dallas Cowboy fan, right? When Dak got hurt, we knew the contract situation when he got hurt. And y'all should have handled it then. And as a long as a lifelong Cowboys fan, I immediately told my dad, move on from Dak. Oh my God. Wait, and this is not Ooh. about this is not about me loving Dak. But for who though? Wait a minute, hold on. <laughs> listen to my logic. See, everybody's laughing, man. You have to listen to my logic. Oh my God. See, right now, everything's on Dak, and everything's on that offense, and that defense is horrible. And the defense is going to remain to be horrible as long as his cap hit goes up year after year because you can't go out and get free agents to fill holes on that defense and get impact players. You can't. So the defense is going to suck for the next three years. Based upon that, I knew at the time of the injury the depth of the quarterback class that was coming. Yeah, I knew you had a Trevor Lawrence. I knew it. it. I'm like, yo, it's five deep at least for quarterbacks that we can get. Get a young quarterback, rookie contract, take the rest of that money that you gave to Dak, go solidify that defense. You already got your offensive line, you already have your wide receivers. Go get your defense, play with this young uh, quarterback in a year or two, win a Super Bowl. Because we got a complete team. I don't feel that with Zach. I mean, with Dak, even with Dak, I don't feel like in a year or two we're in the Super Bowl. I just don't. But, I don't see it happening. I don't see it happening as a team. But what quarterback is, if Dak, Dak's the, per, the perfect leader outside of on the field, what he's doing for the Dallas Cowboys. So if you let so Dak, is the only, Dak is the only player that can lead a team? Who else is leading the team? On the Dallas Cowboys, that would be a better fit. Than no, that. my that point is, no other quarterback now. can come in and be a leader. I can't think of one. No, don't for get me team, wrong. Don't get me wrong. Right now, he I is. So. He is 
a dope face of a franchise. So why don't y'all bring in Cam if y'all think about letting go of uh, Dak? I guess you still you would probably pay Cam peanuts at this point in comparison comparison to Dak. But you know, at the end of the day, the quarterback he has proven that he can be the reason why you guys win. The defense yeah. they shorted up in the in the offseason with the draft picks. I saw Michael Parsons no, no, on the TV no, every Michael, every play. Michael Parsons. He, he was he was all right. He, he, he was get, all right. He, he got to get in the weight room. room. He's got to get in the weight room. Yeah, but you know, when you playing Tom Brady, he's gonna find you. No, he still needs to get in the weight room, though. He he'll he'll he watch him, him, watch him in the trenches. He needs to get in the weight room. And shout out Jalen Smith, man, my guy out there in that number nine looking good, man. That dude, man, he just he's not going to get a haircut ever again, is he? He he looks a little heftier than years before. I'm not gonna lie to you. Maybe the is sitting up a little different or something, but he don't look like the skinny nine from from no at all. And it was dope seeing the single digits on defense. Very real talk. It was dope seeing him in the nine. He uh, digs in that number seven. The number seven? College. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Kansas City Chiefs. You know, they Super Bowls until Patrick Mahomes starts throwing with his feet. Man. <laughs> that dude. Well, let, let me rephrase that. Super Bowl, as long as he got Tyreek and Kelsey, and then he starts throwing with his feet. Now you're being disrespectful. <laughs> Now you're being disrespectful. Now you're being disrespectful. Now you're being disrespectful because Tyreek Hill was dope, but Tyreek Hill's full game wasn't able to blossom. See, when you get an arm like that, that can really take advantage of the speed, that now you know, you're talking. But, you know, but there's plenty of quarterbacks that can throw an open touchdown. Though. Tyreek be running open. <laughs> yeah, that's the crazy part. If he wasn't running open, then I agree he'd take an arm, but he'd be running open. That's you can't. If it was that. one, if you could live without one of those, Tyreek or Kelsey, I'm not saying you would want to. I'm just saying say if they told you we're taking one of those away, which one would you want not to be taken away? Not Kelsey, because I know that. I can get Kelsey on every play. Tyree, I can miss something because it's just so far. You know, he, he's going to take the top off every time. So that's that's a lower percentage of completion outside of Kelsey. You can hit him from three yards to 25 yards and, and be good and at least have a bigger range, range of a target area for a quarterback like anybody that would prefer. I mean, a 6'6 guy. What was he six four, six six, one to two? Yeah, he's throwing into a target range like that, and he can wiggle and get open versus small and bigger defenders from short, medium, and, and long range. That's the ultimate weapon. And then you piecing with a guy like Tyree, who you have to pay attention to each and every play. I mean, it kind of make it it makes it hard for a defensive coordinator to know where they want to scheme most at. I'm gonna segue, but I'll tell you this. The, the best move in the offseason by any team was the 11th hour call to Juju uh, Smith-Schuster to get him back in Pittsburgh and keep him away from signing with Kansas City. 
<laughs> if, if Juju has signed with Kansas, let me tell you, let me tell you how illegal. Oh my goodness! That offense would have been if Juju Smith Schuster had signed with the Chiefs. Yeah, how would they even? Uh, the, the the commissioner got to step in like they did for Chris like, Paul, and for Chris Paul and Kobe. Yes, yeah, they have to. Like, no, nah, we can't have this, bro. Nah, we can't have this. No, <laughs> he might have, man. Goodell might have called the Rooney's like y'all gonna have to open that checkbook, dog. Yeah, because this is this is unacceptable. Yeah. We can't allow we can't these Avengers, can't allow these Avengers to be a symbol like this. We have to have some semblance of competitiveness at at, at some point. At some point, that was the greatest point. move. I don't care what you think about Juju. Like keeping him away from Kansas City was the greatest move of the offseason. So Pittsburgh Steelers, JJ Watt, highest paid, and you know. I got a problem with it, but I understand, man. You you get what you can negotiate. I'm not mad at the man. You know, I'm not counting his pockets. Yeah, can't count the man. We know. understand. <laughs> we I'm know. sorry. <laughs> but, no, nah, I, I was about to say JJ, but, no, nah, man. TJ Watt being the highest paid player, nah, nah. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it just doesn't even sound right. It doesn't, it, sound it doesn't right. sound right because you know it's not right. Right. It doesn't sound right. But you somebody at the face of, of not only the league, but you gotta you gotta have give them some hope too. You know? Man, right? That's like somebody saying back in the day, like that's I like paying, I like paying Babe Ruth as the highest played baseball player right now. Right. Right. So they get your boy. From out there in the Bay Area, Najee Harris, offensive line still questionable. Still questionable. But that, dude, with all of the wide receiver, I mean, the, the work Chase put in as a rookie, especially early on. If Big Ben's healthy, they had Deontay, wide receiver, Juju. I just think the problem, though, is that they're in the hardest division in football this year. I think. Are they really though? AFC, right there. That division. I mean, the toughest and the most physical division. It's gonna be the hardest because you got. It's gonna be a lot of similar to the NFC South with the Carolina Saints and and Atlanta. Yeah, they was winning three of those teams was winning eleven games. I see the same way for the AFC uh, North right there. I think AFC North is it, but you know the. Pittsburgh and I mean, well, Baltimore is going to be up there in the 10 11 win games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cleveland, we got I got Cleveland in the AFC championship game this year, and even Cincinnati. Cincinnati has with if they start figuring things out, sure, if they offensive line, they got weapons to be at least a seven or eight win season team this year. So, Pittsburgh, amongst the talent within their own division, is going to be hard for them to get that 10 11 wins this year, but. To be a playoff team is definitely possible. A nine and what they got an added game, so with nine and seven. Yeah, I think Pittsburgh has benefited the most from the injuries suffered by the Ravens in that roster. Absolutely. Pittsburgh. They, 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 JK they benefit the most because I think the Ravens matched up well against Pittsburgh because of the DBs that they have. And to lose Marcus Peters. Yeah. Now they don't match up as well with that wide receiver core. They don't. So, you know, Cleveland, on the other hand, the defensive backfield is not as stout as the Ravens. But I think that front seven and the pass rush 
That's all you need. Yeah. You saw you saw what the Bucks uh, pass pressure was looking like. You what got Clowney back here. Clowney and Miles Garrett. And that's better than the JJ Watt and Clowney situation, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. Miles Garrett might be the number one defensive man in the league. Oh, but yeah. I think it's hands and shoulders. Yeah. Now that dude, it's so funny. I happened to be up in Bristol um doing some training during that draft. And so they had all the uh, top guys up there staying in the same hotel. So I'm at the bar and I leave out and I go get in the elevator and this cat Miles Garrett gets on the elevator. And, <laughs> and bro, you, you suddenly got claustrophobic. You couldn't even fit in the elevator, probably. Man. <laughs> and this is a dude that had not even touched an NFL weight yet. Oh, my goodness. Looking, looking, looking crazy. Right? This straight from College Station. And I'm like, man, dude, I nobody, I don't want to block you. Yeah, yeah, you're the best defense in, in the league. You're not in the league yet. If I was 6'7", 350, I wouldn't want to block you. Like, <laughs> it's incredible. And, I mean, that, that matchup, see, this is the thing. But I think Ronnie Stanley got him on lockdown. Shout out my man Ronnie, left tackle, holding it down this year. Coming Shout out to him injury. coming back from injury. Absolutely. Injury. He can he hold it down. He can hold it no sacks, you know, in a, yes. in a league with Miles Garrett and TJ Watt. You ain't giving yeah. up sacks. Yeah. Is there that 100 million, Ronnie? Yeah. You know, quarterbacks give the best gifts, right? Yeah. Especially to the offensive linemen. So Lamar, Lamar probably has a preseason gift for that cat, Ronnie. Oh, has after to. what he had to go through without him last year, he's like, "Hey, big fella." Yeah, like, and you, you got to think Lamar is one of the shiftiest quarterbacks and shiftiest players in the league, and you give up no sacks that year. I mean, you definitely deserve every dollar on that contract, Ronnie Stanley. Yo, I know you know NIL wasn't around when you were quarterbacking, but uh, what's the best? What's the best thing you did for your old lineman? You took him to the buffet. Yeah, we you know we was all about the dinners, man. You know, make sure you get some good food. But the truthfully, the O line they they took care of themselves. I mean, they were like a herd of elephants. They always around each other, let never left each other's side. I mean, they even oh. lived together. So, so you had to beat you had to beat the offensive lineman to the training table, like yeah, you know. the outside looking in. I mean, those are us a very very close knit group of guys from freshmen all the way to when you go to the NFL because that's where they were going at the time. When I was there, so uh, it proved to, to prove to work out. You stick together, you all make it to that next level together. So now, old linemen now, like they look at somebody like Bryce Young, right? They're like, dude, we keeping you clean each and every week. You making seven figures? Like you could buy us a PlayStation Five or something. Yeah, something. I think Bryce Young is is will be the first good experiment to see how well the quarterback can take care of his guys, but. You're an Alabama offensive lineman. I'm sure you're getting taken care of already. See, I didn't even want to go there, bro. <laughs> I don't want to go there. I was just trying to point out, like, man, you got that NIL money as a quarterback now to spend on your offensive line. <laughs> Everybody's spending a little change over there in Alabama. All right. So those are your pretenders and contenders for the Super Bowl in the NFL. Oh, we forgot one, the Cardinals. Shout out to the most exciting offense, I think, in the league this year, the Cardinals offense. You, you, wait a minute. You, you really want to discuss the Cardinals? 
Only because they got the most exciting offense. You got Rondell Moore, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Christian Kirk. You got uh, a lot of guys, man. You got your, 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 your uh, running back back there. What's his name? Uh, uh, the starter. Uh, whatever his name is. I can't believe you want to talk about the Cardinals. Man. And then you got Kyler Murray. This is his season to pop out in that division and, and also in the, also to make a chance for Offensive Player of the Year. I think Cliff Kingsbury have figured it out. Who's the coach? Cliff Kingsbury. Who's the coach? And the defense. Let's talk about defense real quick. You got you got Buddha. You got Isaiah Simmons. Oh man, come on! Come no, on. I, I love Isaiah Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is linebacker safety. You love know him. what he is. Love you know him. He is. I still ask you, who's the coach? Cliff Kingsbury. He's gonna be all right, man. He's the worst coach in that division. <laughs> The division got great coaches, though. Good grief! So once again, like I said, he's the worst coach in the division. Those are those are those are three coaches that are arguably top five coaches in the league, and they all in the same division. That's a tough division. That LA would be crazy if the Rams make it to the Super Bowl. It's already going to be crazy. It's already going to be crazy. That team is Super Bowl ready, though. Yeah, that'd be my first. Uh, and team I appreciate that about the Rams. They playing to win every year. Yeah. They, they got some guys. Yeah, I mean, I'm here in Chicago, and hopefully, well, I'm actually thankful that Justin Fields won't be on the field Sunday night. Yeah, just just not Sunday. Yeah, just let it let him hibernate a little bit. Yeah, let Andy let, kick Andy out. Yeah, there. throw Andy Dalton out there to the Wolves. <laughs> yeah, let him. Yeah, he wanted to start so bad. Go ahead, go ahead, right, go ahead. Yeah, it's your time. Yeah, you're right. Go ahead, take your time, take all the time you need. Help your ass out there, Andy. After the first two drives, Justin is probably gonna be on the sideline. Like, shoot, I'm not ready. Like, you, you got it, fam. Yeah, yeah, you I got it. I'm on the clipboard today. <laughs> For sure, he don't want that that smoke. Not right now. Especially after them shots he was taking preseason. Not right now. That shots for real hurt a little bit worse. So, AFC Championship game, you have the Chiefs and the Browns. I think I got the Chiefs and the Browns coming back too. I think around two will look good for the NFL. And on the NFC side, Tampa and Green Bay, but you know, Green Bay can be switched out with a, a couple different teams. I think a lot of people got a a good run at it, but you know, the NFC is a little I, different every year. They might somebody else might pop out. You never know. I like Tampa and the Rams, and the reason I say that is because in the divisional round last year, I think the Rams outplayed the Packers at Lambeau. I think so, too. But Jared Goff was horrible. That was literally the difference. Like, that was the game that Sean McVay said, oh, I'm done. Yeah, I'm sending you I'm to the done. Gulag in Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. Get out of here. yeah, that was the moment. Like, in the third quarter of that game, he was like, I'm getting Matthew Stafford. <laughs> if he would keep it a buck. If he would keep it a buck. In the middle of that game, he stayed on the sidelines. He was like, yeah. I'm going to get Matthew Stafford. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting rid of my yeah. guy. Man, I'm, I'm making the call as soon as I get, as soon as I get home. All right, man, we go ahead and we transition. Notre Dame football, great win, double overtime, not double overtime, but in overtime against Florida State. And um, any lingering residue of thoughts from that game before we start talking about Toledo. Let's just not make every game with an unranked team that's 
I think this is a good week to to mow over the excitement of what that game built and get yeah. back to playing football where we should and, and having convincing wins and getting back to that that rhythm of things. I do think because of the excitement of last week and the overtime and the Florida State and all that stuff, I do think we'll start a little slow. Just because I don't, I mean, we started so hot. I don't, I don't ever see us starting hot like that two times in a row. <laughs> right, right. But I do think we'll we'll win, especially have a, a, a better second half than first half. And this week, you know, with the excitement of being at home for the first time in two years, all the fans, we'll 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 start a little slow, but we'll finish strong against Toledo, in my opinion. So Toledo comes in. This is matter of fact. Don't just think. Oh, we're playing a MAC team. No, this is a very good MAC team, and they have two quarterbacks that will more than likely have to face. One who's more of a passer, one who's dual threat, can hurt you with the runs, can scramble, make plays just like Jordan Travis. Uh, they have some wide receivers that can get you not deep down the field, make plays. But on the defensive side of the ball, which is probably their best side, they have playmakers at every level. And for me, that's going to be the challenge for this Notre Dame team. How do you attack? Now, this is the blessing, right? It's kind of similar to uh, Jack Cohn can feel like Tom Brady this year. And this is what I mean by that. For years, Tom Brady has walked onto the field and had the privilege of saying, there's nobody they have that can stick that dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that was Rob Gronkowski. Like, yeah, that's you can't stick that dude. Yeah, nothing you can do with Michael Mayer for us. And it's the same thing for Jack Cohn. There's nothing anybody can do to stop Michael Mayer. That's a great comfort blanket. Very much so. So and then on top of that, he has the experience in the, the wild, wildly veteran uh understanding that look, I'm throwing it up mm -hmm. if all else fails, because I know. Our team is more talented than most teams we're going to play this year. Yeah, you can say that with Wisconsin. You look at Wisconsin secondary receivers right now; you would think it was a junior college team. But with with a quarterback that's been around that and knowing the importance of playmaking ability, he sees what he has with these these Notre Dame guys, and I think he he's probably going to play a lot better than he would even if he was at Wisconsin this year. So uh, tight end Kevin Bauman. Uh, was injured, uh, had surgery this past week, looking at him being out six to eight weeks. Uh, Blake Fisher, the freshman left tackle, uh, meniscus surgery procedure done, uh, six to eight weeks for him as well. That That's the blow. When I heard that, I'm like, oh, man. Well, he's a true freshman. He only played a couple snaps. So Yeah, but he was better than his backup. That's the whole point. But we find out, you know, he was better in practice, but you know, with a with a whole season ahead of him, I look at a lot of the you 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 saw the game. I look he, at a he, lot of the, he was he was he was better in that game. Did, but think about how Notre Dame does does guys in situations like this, you know. Obviously he's more talented and that's why he started, but you get a kid well, Quinn has to coach him up. But you get a kid who's not as good, but's got the whole season to figure it out. Yeah. Over a kid who 
who's got more talent but doesn't have the experience, it'll be interesting to see how Notre Dame handles that situation. Well, I think he's just holding the spot six weeks. Yeah, but, you like, know, Notre Dame's going to win 10 games, and he's going to be there the whole time blocking a whole bunch of good defense ends this year. So It bodes well, too, because he gets the experience, and then when Blake comes back. Coach maybe. Kevin isn't great on making decisions like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even. I'm not going. I'm not even going to go down that road. But either I'm way, <laughs> either way, Blake Blake Fisher's a great talent, and that 68 weeks isn't the whole season. So hopefully he gets back, and uh, at least gets in enough playing shape to help us out if we get close to those playoffs. So I'm assuming that you, you feel like Blake Fisher should should immediately get his starting spot back when he comes back from injury. Well, he was a he started as a true freshman for a reason. I don't think that changed just over a six week period. But Notre Dame's just a different place, man. That next man yeah. is real, and yeah. you a top five program in the country. There's not a lot of loyalty involved in a lot of those places. Jason Campbell he brings his Toledo Rockets into South Bend Stadium on Saturday afternoon, and I'm interested in your thoughts because we talked about Michael Mayer. And we saw the Florida State basically loaded up to stop Kyron and Chris Tyree, right, and stop the Notre Dame run game and force Jack Cone to beat them, which he was able to do. Now that you have Jack Cone on tape with those weapons, that wide receiver core and a weapon that you don't have anybody on that roster that can defend Michael Mayer, do you come in with the same game plan of – Hey, we're gonna stop the run game and Jack and force Jack Cone to do it two weeks in a row. And then if you do that, you're going single coverage on Michael Mayer or you're doubling him with the linebacker and the safety. It's like from your point of view, if you're Jason Candle, like what are you trying to do to stop this offense that put up 41 points? And I feel like they sputtered. Well, I'm convinced that, you know, you got to show me twice before you really believe that we're just some air raid, you know, Michael Mayer-based offense. I don't think that's our identity. Like I said last week, I believe Tommy will coach week to week, um, and it'll be a different sort of different scheme on how we go about it. He probably wants to be more balanced. So I think Toledo, from looking at the game plan and the stat sheet from last week, you'll see they ran in through – pretty equally. Uh, their whole thing is if you're a smaller team playing a team that's obviously more talented than you on paper and probably on film is I'm throwing everything I got at him. I'm blitzing him. I'm showing him all type of crazy looks, maybe even running some stuff I usually don't. Due to just the environment, you're playing at the yeah. stadium that's hungry. There's been, been a full stadium in two years and you're Toledo with Max School. So everybody don't think you're going to win anyway. So this would be a great chance for us to highlight some things that will probably be unconventional for that Toledo team this season. And that happens all the time with us when these teams come in and look like Super Bowl teams when we look on film and they're having a hard time versus teams that we that they shouldn't, you know. So uh, just expect anything when you're going against a team that's uh, less talented. On the flip side, the chances that Tommy Reese and that fresh paper he has to start the game out of the first 25 plays, he has 15 runs. What's the chances of that happening? Pretty high. I think Tommy wants to focus on getting on them early and trying to, you know, edge them out before the second half where they can linger around. 
So we'll probably see a heavy dose of some Kyron and some play action down the field. I think more shots than last week down the field just because we got the talent for it with Kevin Austin out there and um, and, and then Braden Lindsey. And so uh, the good thing about our offense is that we can attack from many different angles. And I think this week could be a heavy run play action to get the ball down the field. All right. So it's not Malik in the quarter. I mean, it's not Jack Cohn in the quarterback room. It's Malik Zaire in the quarterback room. And he's sitting with Tommy Rees coming off that Florida State game. What is he telling Tommy, yo, this is what we can do that we didn't get to in game one? I think he did a pretty good job of just being everybody spreading the ball out and, and having a good relationship with Jack on some of those third down calls where y'all got some trust there where it may not be the typical third down call, but y'all on the same page. And I think the more you continue to do that on film, it'll be harder to scheme on third down. Yeah. Allow us to, to run some more maybe conventional things in different situations, considering we might just throw it deep on third and five. Right. It'll keep guys on their toes. And uh, as long as they keep that up and, and Jack continues his confidence and taking those shots on short distances and downs, then I think we'll be very versatile in continuing drives this season. So for Jack Cohn, do you think it's something that in his mind, he feels like he's going to have to throw the ball that many times every game? Or do, you just, or do you just feel like Notre Dame and Tommy Reese will just kind of fashion everything based upon the opponent and shape the game plan upon the based upon the opponent? Or do you feel like they feel like, hey, we can do this against everybody? I think it would be arrogant to think we can do it versus everybody because we know that Jack's not the most athletic guy in the world behind the position to – and you're going to face tougher fronts. Right. So, like we said, Florida State is an unranked team. This, yeah. this is not a top-10 matchup game where we pulled out an overtime victory. So, we'll be fooling ourselves to think that uh, Jack is the end-all, be-all for what we can do on offense. However, I do believe just the more comfortable they get throughout the season, he'll have more control and, and have more things that he likes specifically on, on certain downs and distances. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tommy's a pretty reasonable guy. I don't think he'll have a, a authoritarian view on how they should run the offense. You know what? You made during our wrap-up show, you made a very good point. And the relationship between Tommy Reese and Jack Cohn, you said basically Tommy Reese is really coaching himself. Like, yeah. I don't believe that Tommy didn't get to run. I think this is his, his uh, what do you call it, full circle. Yeah. Just to coach a guy that's very similar to him. Uh, same type of mentality. They damn near almost look alike, you know. So uh, he probably feels really good in that position and probably more connected to Jack on just a, another level where he understands the skill set more than he would like Brandon Wimbush or uh, or me or something. So I think uh, this is a great fit for him. And then Coach Kelly trusts Tommy like his son. So I think Coach Kelly feels better uh, going into games not second guessing and questioning some of the calls that are coming out because Coach Kelly loved everything he gave Tommy and they had a great relationship as well. Yeah, it's so easy to fashion a playbook and a game plan when it's basically you that you <laughs> setting the game plan up for, you know. And I agree with you. When you made the point, I was like, yo, I never looked at it like that. Like, you're right. He really is coaching himself. It's almost like somebody making you play with your squad 
on NCAA or Madden. Or Madden. He's Madden. Right. But then they tell you at the beginning of the game, you can't use the playbook you use. Mm-hmm. And you're yeah. like, hold on, wait a minute. That's like, right. This is what I'm used to. Like, I know how to run this. I know exactly what I want to do in every situation. Now you want to make me switch playbooks. So you're right. When it's a quarterback, you know, coaching a quarterback that has different skill sets, you know, that is a task to be able to open or unlock all the gifts and talents that they have rather than coach somebody that's very similar to the talents that you had when you were on the field and sees everything just like you saw it. So. It's just the microcosm too. Yeah, it's the, the 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 misunderstanding of black quarterbacks. Like when they were talking about, we'll talk about later. Cam, nobody with a football mind would really believe that Mac was teaching this man the offensive playbook. So I do have some comments about that, but just just the foolishness. But I do think Josh McDaniels can probably see himself in a Mac Jones. Mm. They got a different connection on what flows with play calling. In the game. Yeah. There's no way Josh McDaniels can put himself in Cam's shoes and be like, what would Cam feel most comfortable with? One, he's way smaller, way more unathletic, way not as great a hair. You right. Know? Everything is different. So right. I feel like it would just be a, a – and it looked like it was different. It was different calls between the two quarterbacks when we were looking at preseason and – and even with the, the calls, it just looked like it was a struggle to find something to get Cam uh, to show all his talents on. Yep. All right. Next, we'll talk about this game. Three keys. Give me your three keys for the dub on Saturday. Three keys for the dub is simple. You know, squeak them out in the first half uh, as a team. You know, don't let them linger around to the second half because this is a team that are that usually puts up 40, 50 points in their own league. So they're not uh, ashamed of, of finding a way to get in that end zone. Another point would be defense. I want to see that secondary make some some more interceptions outside of Kyle this week. Uh, let's see who else is talented in that secondary and can support Kyle when he's making these plays in the back end. And then last but not least, I just want to see more of what we were doing on offense on scoring points. Can we put up another 40-point performance uh, in back-to-back weeks. I think that'll be refreshing for the fans and something that we haven't seen consistently offensively. I mean, we've been in offensive purgatory for the last five years, even though we've been a great team. Yeah. So it'll be good to see another 40-point game coming from our offense. All right. That is Malik's three keys for Dub on Saturday in South Bend. When we come back, we're going to get into – the path to greatness, and the strain that it takes to stay on top. We'll talk about it coming up next. Lucky Lefty Podcast, Sean Davis and Malik's out here. You're listening to the Lucky Lefty Podcast with Malik Zaire. And Sean Davis. Welcome back in. It is the Lucky Lefty Podcast. I am Sean Davis. You can follow me at SD Mikes, SD2 Mikes on Twitter and Instagram. That's your boy Malik Zaire. He has uh, multiple tags on Twitter and Instagram. Let the people know where they can follow you. Just Malik Zaire anywhere. Overtime Malik on Instagram. Uh, 
Follow your boy. We got the good content, especially on game days. <laughs> Yo, man, I'm talking about all types of content, like putting together grills. Hey, holiday. Look, people, man. Let me give you. Let me give you a bit of advice, especially to my brothers out there, man. If you have the grill for your people, don't go get the grill the day of. Okay. <laughs> No, no. Are you gonna be eating real late well, at night? That means you. That means you have to rush the preparation <laughs> of the meat. Now, thankfully, you could have somebody else in the household yeah. doing that stuff, preparing the meat, seasoning yeah. it. You know, getting it right for the grill. But the <laughs> level of frustration that you will experience trying to put together yeah. the grill on the day of. Yeah. And it's uh-huh. even more frustrating when you read in the pictures and it ain't making sense. And the pictures yeah. don't match. The pictures don't match. Absolutely. You look at the screw that you swear they didn't add to it. Is- right. Yeah, and then you have to make sure you have the right tools to put everything together because the tools they give you are so small and minute. It's like, man, it's the worst. Uh, you Keebler Elves were supposed to put this together. Man. man. Real helpers or something, man. Is so if you go to a to official Malik uh, this week, you will learn not to put together a grill. On the holiday, just order a pizza, big fella, man, or something. Ace Hardware, I think Ace Hardware assembles them for you. No, that's the thing. No, nobody wants to. No man wants to see another man build his grill. I do at this point. In front of his family, I'm done. I'm done, bro. I've done grills. I've done smokers. I've done doll houses. I've done bikes. I'm done. I'm retired from assembling anything in life. I've done it all, man. I don't want to do it anymore. I am, I am quite comfortable with myself as a man <laughs> at this point in my life. Yeah, no, so don't, don't strain it over, over having a hammer. And uh, so you, you go ahead, bro. You go ahead and you, you do your thing. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm with that. I can be okay with that. <laughs> So let's talk about Naomi Osaka and greatness, man. Uh, the young tennis star uh, stepped away from the U.S. Open after she lost in the third round. And uh, during her press conference, a uh, very emotional press conference, she expressed that uh, one thing that stood out, she expressed that when she wins now, is more of a relief than anything. And... Um, it's not really bringing her happiness, the game, right now. And uh, her rise to stardom, of course, defeating Serena Williams, the great herself, in that U.S. Open final just kind of launched her into stardom. And uh, she's connected to the culture. She's uh, been outspoken on various uh, various topics, various social issues, she was very act- active during the pandemic, uh, marching and speaking out on her social media platforms and uh, I applaud her for that, especially at a young age. You know, when you have money on the line with sponsors and everything, a lot of people want to tiptoe around things like that. But she went to the front of the line and she said, this is who I am. Uh, I come from black and Asian descent. And she spoke against the things that you know, she didn't feel like was right. And even in that, you know, tennis all of a sudden just quickly didn't, but wasn't fun for her anymore, which, you know, I'll, we'll talk about it because I'm not sure it was really fun for her from the beginning. Sometimes you get in situations because you're talented and that's your way out. 
and you can see that that's your way out and to help your family, but it's not necessarily what you really want to do and it's not your passion. It's just your way out. And there are a lot of people that get into those situations. Uh, other times it is your passion and then you get into it and you realize everything that comes with it and you're like, yo, I didn't know it was going to be like this. And that kind of just disheartens you and changes your point of view on things. Uh, and then right now, I just think everyone is a little bit more sensitive to mental illness and whatever the young lady is going to, you know, we like to compare. And as, as fans, we do that, right? Uh, as fans, we expect athletes to play through all types of pain, feel no pain, give their bodies, give their minds for our enjoyment for four hours on a Saturday or a Sunday. And we don't want to hear about what they have to deal with or what they have to go through. We just want them on the field so they can please us. But when you take a step back, and I look at this young lady because I have a daughter around the same age that has dealt with anxiety issues. So it's very personal for me. And as a family, how we got through that and dealt with that, to see this young lady uh, having to do it on the grand, the grand stage that she did it on there, uh, post-match at the U.S. Open. My heart went out to her, and I truly hope that her support system understands that tennis doesn't matter right now. Like, the question shouldn't be, when is she going to get back? Like, well, I don't care about that game. Like, that's my daughter. I don't care. Yeah. That, would be, that would be my approach. Like, if she never lifts a racket again, we're good. You know, that's yeah, my thought. There's a lot of pressure, though, that that we give ourselves, I think, as athletes and just we allow to let build around us, you know, when we have accomplishments, I think. Yeah, yeah. When you're doing a good, when you're doing your job and you, and you get the reward that you have worked so hard for in terms yeah. of leading the Serena, and, and 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 doing those type of things on, on big and grand stages, those are things to enjoy because of the work that you put in. It just it becomes different when you allow the, the excitement of it to build around you because the people in the excitement around you don't know what it took to even beat uh, a Serena or win a US Open or or do the amazing things you did at a young age. So when it becomes flipped. Uh, the the appreciation and the gratefulness yeah. goes away. You become this, I, I hate to talk about it, but this super humble, annoying athlete where you're just too humble for yourself. So now you don't appreciate those hours that it took and enjoy those what it took to prove to yourself that you can put yourself through uh, stringent things to be able to accomplish your goals. And I think that's something where that's what it's about. It's not about the result of what you do that comes from it, but that process that you go through. And the more you can enjoy that process and the more you can understand that process, you ain't thinking about it being too much if you lose because you know that you're bigger than some one game, one match yeah. in your career. So um, for me, if I had an advisor, I'd be like, get back to appreciating you even getting better each and every day and enjoying those 
wins when you get them because when you lose, it sucks. <laughs> you have to enjoy it. You the, the composition of, I almost don't want to use this word, but it fits perfectly. When I look at the greats, you almost have to be, and I think the composition of it is totally different depending upon where you come from, right? Because Michael Jordan and Tom Brady came from two totally different backgrounds, right? But at the end of the day, I don't know what made them, but they're both psychopaths. Like you have to become a psychopath about what you're doing and who you are. There has to be a level of arrogance. Like you talk about humility, but Michael Jordan and Tom Brady have a level of arrogance that's like, dude, I'm the coldest. But that's, that's, that's what sports should be. It, yeah. And that's yeah. at the end of the day, you can't make it through the high levels of an elite sports world with today's social media and all the things that go into it. Yeah. Without having a supreme confidence, it's just not going to work. You're going to work. You see a lot of people breaking down mentally, giving themselves psychosis because they're buying into all the things that surround them, they forget that it's still, you have to put your get put your pants on every day and go to work, but they're missing that piece of enjoying the fact that you're making millions of dollars playing a game that at the end of the day, we know tennis and the football game and the basketball game is not important. We know that at, in the bigger picture, it's not important enough for you to have a whole mental breakdown. I mean, it's, right. it's the ball. Right. <laughs> it's like, but you know, that goes into what are you what are you buying into? And, and you spoke a little bit about it when you're saying you got to get back to your identity. If you know your culture and you know your history and your identity, you're not seeing yourself as oh, I'm just this one of one taking on something nobody can explain. Yeah. That's 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 selfish, number one, and, and ignorant of your own history. First of all, we all already got that greatness in us where we, if we step on anything, right. we be number one and, and, and the greatest in whatever. So when we understand that, that's a part of our identity, then all this other stuff about overwhelm, that's just, you just lost. You just saw it because you lost and keep it a bean. You know, you lost and it don't feel good to lose. You got caught slipping. You're going to come back like Shakari Richardson said, you know, she came in for it, but it didn't change how she felt about herself. And I think that that's the mental health that you need. You need that confidence booster back. Yeah, that's something that I tell people, you know, especially, you know, I mentor a lot of young people and I tell them, you can't scoreboard watch in life. <laughs> yeah. Like you can't, because at some point you're going to be behind on the scoreboard. You're going to be behind. So, man, you just have to go out there and just keep pounding away. Yeah, turn off the TV for once. You know, yeah, and have the mentality that at the end, at the end I'm winning. Like I don't care what I'm winning. I'm winning. So you got got, let's let's just keep it real. You got all the money in the world. You can you at the top of your game in some respect for a lot of these people coming out talking about they got mental distance, that and the third. Yeah. I would love to have be upset about losing the game with a million dollars that I go back to back at the crib. No, you know, I can there's a lot of people. And you can still you can still be a competitor and be Matt just upset. Yeah, just come back next time and win. It's, I don't yeah. understand the whole losing, and now you're the most depressed athlete and most uh, anxiety filled athlete in the world just because you lost. Yeah. 
Yeah. I don't see nobody talking about no mental health when you win in the gold medal and when you win in I don't see Tom Brady talking about no mental health. He winning Super Bowls every year. Right. Maybe winning is what and losing is what's determining mental health for some of these athletes. Well, see, I get what you're saying, and it's a slippery slope, right? Like I said, I've gone through it, and it's something that I had to identify as um, I got so busy. I can speak for myself. I got so busy with my career that it was certain things that I brought to the table and the development for my daughter that when I snatched it away, I realized how important it was. Yeah. Like, because we expect, especially kids are so much more advanced. They come out of the womb being able to play with, deal with an iPhone. You know, so it's like their brains are so more advanced than we were. It's definitely when I came, was a youngster. So I had to realize that, you know, my impartations to her were important from a life standpoint. Like she needed reassurance. Like oh, she, she was dope at what she was doing, but she wasn't so dope that I could just take the reins off and just let her rock. It's like, no, like she still needs your reassurance. She still needs you speaking into her life. And I'm not so sure when you become a star at that young of an age, I don't know if people are still like speaking into your life or like treating you like an adult just because you're making millions. Like, yo, you're still a kid. Like, I understand. And that's, yeah. and that's, and that's the danger too, is that when you don't have a, a solid a solid family foundation around you that's establishing your, your identity and establishing yeah. your culture and, and, and helping you with that process of getting to those results and accomplishments you're looking forward to, when you don't have a solid foundation around you, it's, it's going to be hard. Yeah. Because you got people that ain't never had the success that you've had that they've helped you build. So they are affected by the same things that you're affected by. You get a bunch of money, they like, well, what's the problem? I ain't got right. a bunch of money. Right. You got a lot of money, and you, you know, so they don't. But it goes back to what's that identity? What's that culture at home? What's the important value things that the individual has that's set forth by their family? On things that are of the, the most important. If you put football over the the your history of who you are as a person, yeah, then when football goes away, yeah, you're gonna be like, I don't know who I am. So right. a lot of it is what's the value system with a lot of these kids before they go make all this money or do all these amazing things. And you can talk about Naomi Osaka's, what was her number one, two, and three values? Was tennis above family? Was tennis above mm. the things that 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 are now weighing on her? Was tennis above her mental health? Yeah. So if those, if that's the case, then of course you at, at some point it's gonna fall for you because these we, these ball games that we playing are all gonna end at some point, and they're just ball games. It's a game. So if a game is the number one value in your life, then you win. You play stupid games, you win stupid prizes, and you know the latter of what great athletes suffer from is is what comes at some point for every athlete. It's just when it hits, it just seems to be a little heavier. Yeah, and as I said, you have two uh, 18, uh, 18 and 19-year-old playing in the U.S. Open Women's Final, and Fernandez was actually the one that uh, beat her in the third round. And I think they have it easier. And what I mean by that, it's tough being that transitional athlete, right? Like, 
a lot of people just put her on the pedestal like she's she's the one she's the next one she's the next serena you know she just beat serena which was a lot of pressure and now she has to be the next serena of women's tennis and that was that that was a lot and that wasn't stuff that she asked for it was almost like stuff that people but that's the stuff but that's the stuff she bought into she should have just she very, just stuck, very much so should have just stuck to her Haitian father growing her up, teaching her how to play the game, and mm -hmm. that's what—that's the importance. She didn't and learn. We saw we, we saw hints of her emotional makeup based upon how she handled the Serena situation because in that match, you remember Serena got into it with the uh, the chair up, and they uh, docked her a game, which, which eventually helped Naomi win, but. She was crying and emotional about how that went down, and she had to be consoled by Serena. Like, this is your moment. Like, yeah, calm. But calm. that's the thing. You buying into being the one instead of buying to get better that the when you play in those matches, those are accomplishments to get excited for because when you yeah. prove yourself that you did it, yeah, it's a different feeling. You ain't thinking you're the one. you just like, yeah. man, I, I've been working. I've been kicking butt. My my Haitian father got me right. I'm proud of what I am. This and that and third, and that's on display. Right. She's buying into the display that she damn near did it by herself, and that no one could ever do that, and all this other stuff. But when you realize that there's nothing new under the sun, and that your people that you come from that did have all the great things in life already, you just rebooting it like Space Jam. Yeah. Then then you can appreciate what comes with it as well. It won't be a mental toll on you. Yeah, I want to touch on this and bring in this aspect because we are uh, uh, guys connected to Notre Dame football. Notre Dame football has always been talked about from a recruiting standpoint as a different place. Like, it's different. Uh, South Bend, of course, it's not warm. You know, if you're coming from another climate on the West Coast, or you're coming from Florida, it's once, cold nine months it in November. Yeah, once it gets yeah. to November, we tell cats on the West Coast, hey man, get a winter jacket. And they like, what is that? Like, just yeah, get you one. Gotta find out. You gotta find, yeah, you'll find out. Act but like then just know. the culture, you know what I'm saying? Like players living amongst, you know, the other students and not being as isolated, maybe as other state schools and bigger programs. It's just a different place. Uh, academics being held to a higher standard uh, than some of the other big time programs. The adjustment that I've heard many Notre Dame players uh, that have graduated and some that have even transferred and gone elsewhere, just talking about how different of a place it is and the adjustment that they go through, especially their freshman year. What what weight does that bring upon the mental for a young man, a teenager, going away from home for the first time, 17, 18 years old, going into this new world? You know, yeah, you have your brothers. That is the squad. But how is that, you know, mentally? And how much strain does it really bring on a young man? Because, you know, I could... Dude, I could see some cats by the time October hits, like getting real homesick, like, hey man, I'm I'm ready to bounce, especially if you're not really engaged or involved 
you know, as far as playing on Saturday and, and yeah, just talk about that. Yeah. So I think the three things in looking at hindsight as a review of what I went through and what I was going through and, and how things were, were transpiring was it came down to three things, your vision, your accountability and your discipline. And a lot of that starts from when you're coming from home is that foundation even as a star athlete, is your accountability, is your discipline, right? Because you're going into a situation where you're not going to be totally prepared for all the things that come, and that's obviously life, but that's a given going into it. So are your core fundamentals in terms of your accountability, can you be accountable for your own things that you're, you're going about, and can you be disciplined to stick through for the vision that you want? Everybody that's a high-profile athlete, I assume, especially for football, wants to go to the NFL. With it only being a three-year bout, it just takes discipline to just get through the time. Yeah. And can you be and can you hold yourself accountable for when you lapse on your own? Obviously, you've got your brothers there and the different resources on, on campus to help you stay focused and help you hold yourself accountable. But if you're not doing it on your own, you're going to be subjected to the different sways of, of life that happen while you're a college athlete. So from a mental standpoint, if you want to keep your, your mental tight and right and, and locked up and on the right path, not saying it's not going to be wavered here and there, but what's your discipline and your accountability like? Can you admit you're wrong? Can you can you show up on time and and realize what happens when and, and not get upset when they respond to something that, you didn't hold yourself accountable for. Can you can you stay disciplined and, and not succumbing to the things that you know are going to benefit you for that vision? Can you stay disciplined on it, even when it comes to, to school? And, and, and can you get your shit done on time? These are all the things that I think we've been babied as Division One athletes and, and student athletes to where accountability can be wavered based on talent. But at the end of the day, that's just self-destruction because as you can tell, when you when you play good, everybody treats you nice. So when you're the best at your position at 18, 19 years old, winning millions of dollars and stuff, don't nobody care about are you being accountable for yourself? Only you can hold yourself to those two standards. And then your vision has got to be something of you setting the goal path of what you want forward in life. So if you're going to college with no vision, of course you're going to do a whole bunch of other shit, you know, because you, you got nothing looking forward to. So not everybody's going to have the, the most mature understanding of those three principles, but yeah. if you got a little bit of those two with accountability and discipline, your vision is going to form through that time. And uh, when you get through those tough times, just know if you start by holding yourself accountable for what got you there, and you can delineate what was your fault and, and the things you can control and not control, your mental going to be better. And then if you can stay disciplined and even from making your bed in the morning that you're sticking to routine, you really don't got time to be thinking about all this crazy shit that, you know, becomes a, a athlete's problem in the day's work. Yeah, it's like you said, man. Like, life always sets up something for you to play into. Mm -hmm. Right? 100%. And, you know, you hear, like, it's different. This place is different. This place is different. Man, this place is just like everybody else. Yeah, everywhere different. It's a collection of people. It's a collection of people. You're going to be coached. You're going to be screamed at. And yeah. you have to do your schoolwork. I'm like, it's another step up from high school. Like, 
You know, and the only thing is you don't have your parents waking you up. You don't have your you parents. You have that authority that's keeping you disciplined and holding right. That's the only difference. Now you have to be that for yourself. You have and to grow up. People can't grow up. Yeah. On their own. And, and, and you only would know how if you had a good background, a good foundation to come from. You know, it's not something you can necessarily do perfectly on your own in the beginning. It's got to be some sort of foundation. If it's not, you just naturally are going to suffer until you learn how to do it the right way. Yeah, and we hope Naomi Osaka and everybody else that deal with any type of anxiety or mental illness, uh, we speak the blessings over you and hope you get better. Yeah, learn your people. Learn learn your history. You'll be all right. <laughs> Let's get it to you. You know, no, nothing. You, you, you know, whatever. <laughs> so, yo, a video posted this morning. We wanted to get to this before we left. Cam Newton on his YouTube page released a video of him and his father, Cecil Newton, <laughs> who will always get the ultimate respect. I felt like I was uh, ear hustling. Uh, Air hustling uh, my uncles on the back porch down in Morton, Mississippi, when I was a kid. Like that's the most. That's the most. Uh, that's the most. That's the the perfect. That was the perfect frame conversation of every black quarterback and their dad in America. But you know what? <laughs> Everybody me, can relate to that. Let me tell you the most powerful thing. Uh, it inspired me because my father and I were both sports lovers but my father is also uh, in ministry so the majority of our conversations i can honestly say um probably had are probably either ministry or mentoring people or dealing with young people and it's very rarely that we get a moment to just sit down and talk about like real situations and issues candidly together all right. So that was the first thing. Like, yo, that relationship is dope. Yeah. Like, you can just see it. And Cam says it, like, in the first two minutes, like, dude, this man is the most influential most person. Important person in my life. And it goes back to what we just got through talking about. Like, for these youngsters, like, who is that most important or what is that most important thing? in your life, what's the hierarchy of the foundational principles for your life? For your life. Yeah, yeah, because when, you know, when tough times come, like, you need that foundation. Because you can't rely on nobody else. No, you need that foundation. And it was just refreshing to see them uh, discuss. Of course, the discussion was, uh, at the core of the discussion was him being released from the New England Patriots uh, on last Tuesday. And Mac Jones being given the keys to the Porsche, as Cecil Newton said <laughs> in the video. Uh, you touched on it. Well, I'll let you get right to it. Uh, but Cecil Newton, for him, he just felt like once again, it was just a, a sense of the black quarterback being marginalized. Not so much by, I guess, the decision that Bill Belichick made but more so by the media coverage and how everything was portrayed after it went down. And I thought it was a very candid, um, organic father and son conversation about something that was going on in their life. I applaud Cecil Newton for being truthful and giving a, a real father response 
to the situation, calling BS as a father would. Like, yo, as your dad, I don't like that. He referred yeah, nice. to Belichick as Dollar Bill. He was like, Dollar Bill came out from day one and said, you the starter. So, yeah, yeah for it to go down like that, that's BS. Yeah, and he definitely call it call it how you see it, man. You got to right. speak on things that, that ain't right, you know, regardless of who it is. And I think, like I said, that was the – the most underrated, non-talked-about conversation that every black quarterback and their black father has, because every single one of us goes through those exact things that they're talking about, and it even shows for a guy that, like Cam said, been a five-star since since he was even being able to be graded, yeah, one at every level since he's played football and still. They come out with articles talking about a rookie teaching a 10-year vet the playbook. So, you know, I think we're speaking on things that have always been the unspoken about and the untalked about on a serious level from a a stereotypical uh, viewpoint from more of the media than it maybe it is from inside the, the, the program in the locker room. But Cam did say a couple of interesting points that, you know, specific uh, speaking on the Mac Jones teaching him the playbook. One of the things that Cam said that was pretty alarming that I can understand because, you know, we playing was that uh, Cam always had the center handling most of the pre-snap procedures and panel and, and setting the mic and right protections and all of that. And, that's something that I know Mac Jones is is been accustomed to because of the guys that he had an offense coordinator and being at Bama and stuff. But that's also something I noticed about other black quarterbacks in the ranks of me growing up. And that's why I always made a, a goal of mine to understand that part of the game on my own end. You know, Notre Dame does – we have to control everything for pre-snap when I was there and knowing the mic, flipping the protections. And Cam – only being able to adjust protections based off of somebody else setting it, I can understand how that that story came out where Mac Jones was helping him identify who to set the protection off of, what how to you know what keys is making you switch it, identifying the front. That's stuff that we did at Notre Dame. So I know Cam being ten years in, having a, a hard time adjusting to that maybe because that's not the style of offense that. They, they've ran or he's ran in the, in the past, but that's the type of stuff that they talk about when they say that the black quarterback is in process, isn't processing well enough like other guys are. But that's just the way that that team decides to run offense. That's why he said 30 of the 32 teams don't do that, which I believe, you know, because a lot of quarterbacks, believe it or not, white, black, or, or indifferent, they can't do that stuff either, you know, right. and that's – and that's accredited to the, the way football is going. They're trying to simplify it, play it fast, and, and 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 not do all the extra stuff that these offenses do. But you see the successful guys like Tom Brady and the Mac Jones that got that style. They get it, and they can operate uh, officially in that system. Now, out, all the other things that – the stereotypical things that came out about Cam, I mean, that's just been going on forever and ever – I don't think that'll ever stop until we get our own league right. hiring quarterbacks and making decisions 
that of people that look like us. And it, it goes back to the similar comment that, you know, what do you expect? You got a guy that has no understanding of your athletic ability because he never had it. Don't look like you never played anything of similar style to you. So you can't uh, expect him to just understand your type of calls that you like, regardless if he's a guru in the game or not. He's going to coach guys that fit. And that in the NFL specifically, it shows that guys that, um, especially quarterbacks that are in the league, you wonder why they're getting the same jobs all the time. Right. Their offensive coordinator is just them in a younger form. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. all it is. And so they keeping their friends around and guys that, they feel like if they had to put them in the game, aka put themselves in the game, yeah, this would be the reincarnation of me. So the Drew Stantons, those Chase McDaniels, those, those, uh, all of them. They all in. They all the same. Foles. They're all their offensive coordinators look alike and damn near Tommy and Jack Cohen relationships. So if if there was a six six athletic former quarterback that was an offensive coordinator. In the NFL, I'm sure he would get Cam first thing. Right. But to to expect a guy like the people in the Cowboys organization to a guy like Jerry Jones and his son to pick up a guy like Cam Newton as a, a guy that can keep the, the float alive. I mean, you see what they did to Dak, and Dak deserved the money. Right. Right. So, right. So, and then and look at and look at the the, the backups on the Cowboys. You got Ben DiNucci, who should never even put on a Cowboy jersey ever, let alone an NFL Cooper jersey. Rush. And then you got Cooper Rush, who should, who was a great coach. That's why he's still there. Right. And that's why he's still helping out. Yeah. And then you got Michael White, who just is white. You know, he just he, he didn't even get a chance to start for the Cowboys. I'll, I'll go to the organization he came from. Sam Darnold is not better than Cam Newton, bro. But Sam Darnold. And his offensive coordinator, probably similar skill set and, and understand each other on that level. So it goes back to me saying that, you know, Cam and Cam was right. See, Cam has some contradicting things in there that he said as well. He was right where he his presence won't allow him to be a backup. So for him to say that if they asked him to be a backup, he would do it. I don't nobody believed that. His dad didn't even believe that. His dad right, like, right. You know, right. Really, Nobody believes that kid. He was like, even "Come on, man. yeah." <laughs> even though we all know it, he right. got to say the things that that make sense because it's true. He's not. He doesn't look good as a backup, and he would be a distraction. But but he also knows that there's things that he didn't know, and he was at a disadvantage of that. It's going to be an easy way out for these organizations to put on him to be like, "This is why," because they can't just tell you it's because you're black. Yeah. He's better. He's better than Jared Goff. He's yeah, better right. than Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like, dude, it's but a like he, said, he said that no, there's not 32 guys better than him. But that's not right. the that's not the question that he should be asking. He should be asking the Jameis question: Where can I go to fit fit to get in a reemerging situation? So Jameis was able because they're both similar on career path and in achievement and success. Yeah, Jameis just. Just had a, a, a clear mindset about. And you know, I'm I'm gonna say this and I'm gonna try to keep it, you know, we spin it different and we keep it a bean. And I'm gonna try to show as much as respect as as much respect as I can. But being here in Chicago, you know, because people like to say, 
Well, things have changed, and I'm afraid. You know, Chicago like black The more black things, the, the more things have changed. The more they stay the same, and uh, this league has not changed the ideology of the people in control. The coaches that are in control hasn't changed their thoughts on a particular group of quarterbacks or players has not changed. The only thing that has changed is you can't deny us on the field. That's it. You have to play us now because we're that good. We should we should just accept that it'll never change until we decide we're gonna have our own league. And in facts. And, That's the and thing is if I'm playing with my ball at the gym and I want to go home, I'm taking my ball. There is a system in place that will always elevate a certain quarterback. I'll just leave it at that. And I'll go back. I know it was years ago, but there is no way in hell anybody with a competent football mind could sit, watch tape of Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, and Mitchell Trubisky. <laughs> Chicago would never. No, I don't even want to talk about the Bears. Lee, Lee, lefty. I don't even want to talk about, about the Bears. Chicago, though. It is about Chicago Bears. But I don't, it's exactly. before that. It's before that because the excuse was well, most of the draft experts had him the number one quarterback. That's the problem. That, see, yeah, that's the problem. Experts. That's the problem. Who are the experts and what the hell are you watching? <laughs> because there is no way you can tell me anything that would make me believe you went through an unbiased process of watching tape of those three quarterbacks and what you came out with as a result is that Mitchell Trubisky is the best of the bunch. No way. No way. He was that means, to me, you're a fraud. He was the lightest of the bunch. You're a fraud. But and I'm going to go a step further. I'm going to okay, go a step take further. Take it a step further. Spin it different. I'm going to bring it to 2021. Because this is going to bring it back to the Chicago Bears. There's no way <laughs> you can watch tape of Zach Wilson and Justin Fields. <laughs> no way you can watch tape of Zach Wilson and Justin Fields and tell me that Zach Wilson is a better quarterback. No way. And I've never, ever heard any information about a certain group of quarterbacks prior to the draft come out and say they struggle to read defenses. They struggle to process. It always seems like it's this certain sector of quarterbacks that always get that pre-draft excuse put on them or label put on them. Not the other side. No. Just the these other side, guys. The other side happens to know the most. They know the most. Just, but just can't happen to get outside the pocket sometimes. Yo, they know the most, but they can't win as much as these guys on the college level. But they know the most. So they project to the NFL better than these guys because they know the most. Yeah, it's a uh... – Man, let me tell you something. <laughs> man. I know Mac Jones is the number one uh, jersey in sales, but he's sharing that right now with Justin Fields. One is going to start, and the other one is sitting behind Andy Dalton. Trey Lance sitting behind Jimmy. 
Come on, man. My whole thing is that I could, you know what? But I could look at what if someone doing. said, if someone questioned the fact that Trey only played one game last year, and then they questioned the competition he played. That's fair. That'll be a fair. That's fair. That's a fair. It is. I see that that didn't stop the <laughs> competition didn't stop Carson Wentz from being drafted high though. And they 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 begging they putting whatever they got to do to get Carson on that field. Oh, Take him up. They need Carson Wentz to get back to the top. To they need him to. They need him to. And they they will try different teams. They'll even fit magic. They'll go to six different teams where they say, all right. right. He he won't be like that 2014 year. And I don't look. This is this is the funny thing. Deshaun Watson will not play this year. Will not. And that goes back to what you're saying. There's no way a top five quarterback like that in the league being 25 and a and a everybody on on in the football world will agree that's a Super Bowl potential quarterback with all the success and accomplishments that that organization will have his quarterback in that position. They would never let that happen to any other quarterback from a media standpoint without that organization for trying to tech, without trying to protect a best asset. That's the best player on that team and the best player damn near conversation in his position. And to have zero protection like that or even – a different way of making it happen. I've I've just never seen anything like that. Man, look, he did not protect an asset like that. And then the excuse, well, you know, we didn't see no one saw Patrick Mahomes coming. I know his tape was better than Mitchell Trubisky's. <laughs> I don't care what happened on the NFL level. Man. I know when I watch that Texas, when I watch him walk into Oklahoma and put up forty at Texas Tech. With less talent, that lets me know. Okay. Yeah, I mean Patrick Mahomes. I mean, if he went to a different school, they probably wouldn't have did that. But I don't know. I mean, you getting they grabbing guys from all over the place. That it's not about being the best, man. You just got to be the right fit and hope to God they that both were, is on the same page as you. They both were drafted outside of the top ten, bro. <laughs> This ain't the first time we've seen some craziness. But it's it's going to continue. Yeah, that's it's going to continue. But I how think, long how long are we going to continue to just I think ride it out? Ride it, it out. This year is the money too good. Kyle, Kyle Shanahan just happened to fall in love with a guy. Yeah. And he just happened because I mean if Jimmy Garoppolo, let's be real, Jimmy Garoppolo was playing football. And wasn't injured the way he's been injured. They're not the, the 49ers aren't looking at a quarterback. No. No. So that situation, it was a special situation. Like we have a starting quarterback, but hey, I don't know if we can depend on him. I have to go get a quarterback. I have a top three pick. So it was either it was dude. I mean, you the know, the other guys went one, two. You so he find, has no choice but to choose from. You can find an excuse, and they always will, of why it, it, made, it made sense, or why it was a logical thing to do. But 
I don't think anybody can just sweep under the rug the obvious things that stand out when and, they make these decisions. And to keep it a buck, Mac Jones might have been more like the quarterbacks that Kyle Shanahan has coached. Unless, unless Papa Shanahan said, hey, that one right there reminds me of Elway. Kyle might have said, yo, I like Matt. He reminds me of my boy down in Atlanta. And he reminds me of Jimmy G. Like, I asked for Jimmy G. That's the quarterback I traded for. That's the type of quarterback I like. Right? You know he gets a lot of advice from his dad. And his dad coached probably one of the dopest quarterbacks to ever do it. Ever. And he probably said, yeah, I know you like Mac Jones, but uh, you get you you an Elway type, you change the game. I think Trey has a great trajectory just off of the fact that the the system is set up so nice for him. I mean, you got a great coach. You got solid pieces around you in a good area. So a lot of times it's got to be fit. If Deshaun was traded to San Francisco and he didn't go through what he was going through, I think that would have been the move. I think Deshaun ends up in, in, in uh, Washington. Miami. Oh, Washington? Uh, I don't think he'd want to go to Washington. Yeah. So you have to go to an organization that has, Miami. You, you, have to, you have to go to an organization that has shown they don't give a darn about social issues. <laughs> And Dan Snyder has shown, man, Dan Snyder does not care one iota about the stuff that Deshaun is dealing with. None. I'll go a step further and tell you that the NFL really doesn't care. They just want to get the dude back on the field. I feel like they don't care either. But that's a whole other issue. They they really don't care. They, look, man, sit out this year, let it settle down. It's just crazy how Optics can control it so much. Deshaun must have upset somebody in the Houston organization talking about he wanted to leave. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because the timing, I'm still upset at the timing of all this. It's just real convenient. Y'all making it this hard for his brother to get up out of there when he, even though he signed that money, but y'all haven't proved that y'all trying to make it happen. He's trying to save no, his career. No, not when you're giving, giving away your best players. I mean, they can't do away. it. So, 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 so he must have he must have one of them, them closed-door meetings where he was like, this is what I want to do. And they was like, you know what? I get it, but don't be out here trying to put us on blast because we are the NFL, you know, we will get we will get something right together. Look, look, I don't care. I'm gonna tell you how it went, right? Yeah, I had to go like that. They make know? the move, they make the move, and he had just gotten his money. Gotten his money, yeah. And and DeAndre tried and, De- and DeAndre tried to tell him on the way out the door, like, don't trust these dudes. Don't trust them, dude. I know, I know you got the loop. Don't trust these dudes. And Deshaun's like, no, man, they just gave me a nice fat contract. You know what I'm saying? They love me, you know, Mr. McNair, old man McNair, and the yeah. son. They love me. They love yeah. my family. Uh, right. You didn't see what he just said in the news last year? Right. Right. So, you know, that lets you know Deshaun was kind of caught like, 
You would have money at hundred mil. You on top of the world. That's right. I, mean, I got you know it. When they went in the office to sign the contract, somebody yeah. must have been in there rubbing the spoon around the little coffee cup, you know, something. You know what I'm saying? Now we're we going to give you this money now. <laughs> now <listen>. Right. <laughs> so that Captain Sean was kind of, somebody had to hit the flash on the camera. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wake them up like, yo, all right. man, you, you all by yourself, bro. Yeah, 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 yeah. You sign that thing, you, you locked in with us, don't. And so he tried to get, he tried to do his own thing. And I'm telling you, when you yeah. in that game, they undefeated. They made yeah. the game. Yeah. What he you? woke up, wiped the blood from his nose. You know what I'm saying? And was like, all right, I'm getting out of here. I'm out of here. He, he woke up, he woke up to the phone going crazy. That's how you get, <laughs> he woke up like, what is this? <laughs> like, I'm out of here. Nothing you can do. You just got to ride it out. And man, we're not trying to make light of the situation. No, not at all. Going on at all. We don't a situation. But you know, like I said, I firmly believe that teams. Yeah, we, we we know what we're looking at. If we look Miami, at Miami is trying to trade for them right now to put them on the field this year. They don't care. They don't care. Miami <laughs> wants him right now. They would trade him for Tua today and start him on Sunday. Start him on Sunday. You hear me? They would start him on Sunday. And the sickest part is that the the, the case about to be over. He's going to be exonerated or something, eh? or what? What I thought was man, look, in the midst of which is even even more crazy. It's going to play out. They do. I knew the the league wasn't serious when they refused to put him on the commissioners list. Yeah, they still got him floating around. When they did that, it threw a wrench in the plans of the Texans. Oh, for sure. Because they, they saw on that. They were yes. on that. So now they have to keep him on the active roster. Still got to pay him. Still have to pay him. They wanted him on their commissioner's list to alleviate all that stuff. The commissioner was like, nah. Nah. Not doing that. You know, they, they'll put somebody on that list. You know, right. see they did Ray Rice. He ain't make it out the weekend for they put him on the list. Right. And, you know, people like, I just can't see a team wanting to trade for him. The Dolphins are like, man, look here. We got all. We can we can get – it's Miami. <laughs> like, man, we're not even making Tua a captain. Come on down. Like, we can do this today. We can do it today and, and, and pour it to him, you know. Man. He, you know, he was in a tough situation. They had him – and I think, you know, they got guys in the league like a Ryan Fitzpatrick that just – Destabilize a kid career. Look at what they did with Ryan and and, and Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, and, and, and Ryan and Tua, and all these they just they just throw a wrench in the plans. You know, the Eddie Dalton for the world. Eddie Dalton go over I'm to you. Dallas yeah. and mess up Dak stuff, and he go over to Cincinnati. And, I mean, Chicago and got Justin Fields situation all messed up. So right, look at the Eagles. The Eagles trying to find Eddie in every way to play everybody but Jalen. Man, <laughs> and it's like, what, 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 what's going on? Look at what they're doing to Cam. Look at how they did uh, Jameis Winston with with the the run Taysom Hill, who makes tackles on special teams. Now you got a guy that's making <laughs> tackles on punt and kickoff, competing with a guy that is only playing the one thing he's playing. And through five thousand yards and forty touchdowns, he's competing with a guy that's making tackles on special teams. And I understand the turnover machine. I understand that. I get that, but it's not easy to throw forty touchdowns and forty picks. It's you. 
that's not easy to do. But I know it's easy to beat a guy out that's making tackles on special teams. Yes, Running down there on punt. If you know? if you put money on Taysom Hill to win that job, you're an idiot. Like you don't know the game. But it wasn't a dumb bet because you know the NFL proved you right. It kind of was. Sean Payton is not that. No, nah, Sean Payton's not that. He he's a smart guy. He's a smart guy. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't I don't think he would have gone that far. <laughs> he was trying it though. Yeah, you know they might have played it off in the media a little bit, made it seem like it was a real competition. But you know you have to realize when Drew Brees his last game, he walked over to the sideline when he knew he was about to lose in the playoffs and whispered in. He didn't whisper in Taysom Hill's ear. Yeah, he didn't listen to Taysom. He went. He whispered in Jameis's ear. And shout out to Ian, man. Hey, you know, hopefully Ian, you know, mix it up down there. And uh, if anything, if, if they took good care of Drew Brees, then Ian is is like we talked about the whole show. He honestly, he that's the perfect fit. That's a perfect perfect place for Ian to be. Perfect place. Better perfect than Buffalo. That's probably his next destination. And honestly. And honestly, it's a better situation for Deshaun to sit out and get traded next year. Because yeah. I think there will be better options than there were this year as far as right now, it looked locked up. Right now, it looked locked up. No, no, no. Except, I can tell you now, Miami, I can tell you now, Miami's gonna be an option. The Redskins would be an option. Shit, they even said the Eagles is an option. The Eagles would be an option. Denver's gonna be an option. Um Denver not bringing no. Carol, uh, Sam Darnold's on a one-year tryout. Carolina's an option. Man, can you imagine if you bring Deshaun Watson back to the Carolinas? That dude's a god. They wouldn't do that. In that area. they like, you know how long it took for them to get rid of Cam? You think they're going to bring Deshaun back? No, in Deshaun and Cam are too. Uh, Cam, Cam, Cam's a lot, bro. I love him, but Cam's a lot. Now, you think they would have drafted Cam if he looked exactly how he looked now as a rookie? No, no, <laughs> no, not at all, not at all, not at all. Jerry Richardson would have immediately been like, he would have saw that nah. hat with the hair and would have been like, no, nah. no. Nah. <laughs> nah. nah. <laughs> he asked him, he asked him if he got any tattoos. He said no. He was like, keep it that way. Yeah, I can only imagine if you see that hair with the fits and them and them hats. Yeah, no way. Yeah, once Cam got solidified, he was like, "Oh yeah, I'm good." That's why I'm like, you can't act like that wasn't, regardless what anybody say. That's a factor in that Belichick up in New England for him getting kicked out or not kicked out, but released. Yeah, I mean the whole situation about him going to see his doctor. For a second opinion, and then when he came back, it became an issue. Tom Brady had a doctor on the team playing. That dude had a had a an entire office at the facility, bro. <laughs> Are you kidding me? He had moved in his whole practice, his entire practice, and they were getting mad because he was picking off clients yeah. off the roster. Yeah. Other players were like, man, bump That's the a fireable offense. I'm coming to you. That's a fireable offense of any other team. Man. You can't be soliciting business on, on camera. <laughs> Yo, as I said before. That's, a, that's an underrated story on how wild that actually is. Like, anybody else did that. Dude, that's a flex. 
That's like one of the greatest flexes of all time by Tom Brady. I'm business while at business. And my office is in the business place. Right. And you ain't what you saying? <laughs> yeah, like that's a crazy situation. And then he leaves the facility. They paint the picture like, yeah, you know, he moved, they moved his office out of the facility. Like, dude, Tom had already told him I'm bouncing, man. Yeah. Like he and then he built a facility down the street. Right. <laughs> you want to office out, I'll just build a little place right down the street. Right. Instead of going there, the guys can go down the street. They can go down the street. They can just yeah. totally leave your facility. Forget staying in your facility. Yeah. Now they can just bounce. Come see me at my spot. Yeah. Oh, my God, man. Yo, as always, go follow us on iTunes, Lucky Lefty Podcast. Subscribe. Mm-hmm. Subscribe to the YouTube channel as well, Lucky Lefty Podcast. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Lucky Lefty Pod. Um, before we go, uh, definitely want to make sure that you guys tap in with us. I don't know what time, probably around five or six. We'll keep you posted and uh, send out what time, but we will go live after the game on Saturday. Yes, we'll we go live and give you the wrap up. Hopefully, it's a ra- quick wrap up because we're supposed to be getting it done by first half. Man. That's what you see. I'll go ahead and get your final prediction. Yeah, let's go ahead, wrap this thing up, put another forty-point performance on the board against Toledo at home. Let's let's not let's not make it something where I got to be biting my nails and you know I got things to do on Saturday. I want to be able to get some good Irish, a good Irish half. Let's kick some butt, and then I can start flipping channels for the other games. And you can, if you need to, you can flip some burgers as well. Since you got the grill. <laughs> yeah, the grill already built, so I'm good all weekend. <laughs> I man, I kind of go with you there as well. I look for Notre Dame to hit a couple of big plays, uh, play action mm. early in the game. Uh, I look for Toledo to fight, though. I do look for Toledo to put up a fight, but something that we saw uh, last week that I think is going to be impactful, I would probably say, for the first three to four games. And that's teams getting used to, especially road teams, getting used to playing in front of fans and having that factor. I think it was a factor for Notre Dame once Florida State punched back. Then it became – You got to get used to – Yeah. If Notre Dame – If Notre Dame had converted and gone up, 17 points, 17 zip early. They would have kept the crowd out of the game. It wouldn't have been a factor. But once they allowed them to hang around while they were dominating, it was only seven zip, and they get that big run. Now it's seven seven. The crowd comes back into it, and like you haven't dealt with that in 15 months. Like there was no crowd last year, so if somebody scored. It was like okay, we yeah. just come back. Now you have to deal with that. And I think Toledo for them as well. Like once the Notre Dame fans really get into it, they haven't experienced that in 15 months. And Notre Dame, Notre Dame Stadium is gonna will be rocking. Yeah, we're gonna see. I think Jack's gonna give him a show, man. I think uh I'm just so excited to see him actually giving guys chances down the field. And half of half of football is entertainment. I think we have an entertaining team this year. Woo! You say that again. You can say that again. 
Brayden Lindsey and Kevin Austin both get touchdowns. Yeah. Chris Tyree might have a passing touchdown or catching touchdown this week. And, yo, look out, as we said before, one of the dopest things, and we'll do something about this uh, next week. We're going to have a, a podcast specifically about the state of the program, and I'm going to pose a couple of questions to Malik and get his input because I think we're starting to see the blueprint that is the change to Notre Dame catching up to Alabama. I, to I, think, I think we're starting to see it. I think you saw some remnants against Florida State from a scheme standpoint. Yeah. And I hate saying this because I don't want to like be disparaging of anyone that's currently on the Notre Dame roster. But I can see more athletic players in those positions. Yeah, in those key positions. Those key positions. Sway opinion and feel. And, and, and certain plays will be made. Certain mistakes won't be won't be made. Yeah, don't sleep on Avery Davis. You yeah, know, he really wasn't the, the main factor last week, but he he definitely a factor. And if I could tease, I think it's very similar to Carson Palmer's first year as a starter at USC. Like the reaching now. You start no 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 because you started to see US USC had been in the doldrums. Pete yeah. Carroll was changing the culture. They struggled mm-hmm. early that season, and all of a sudden, Carson Palmer came on. Strong. And Carson Palmer came on, and they hadn't started getting the guys like Lindell, Reggie. Yeah. Those guys were in the classes to come, but the structure of that thing and the change of that thing happened that particular year. And once they started getting the talent, upgraded talent into that structure and blueprint, that's when they took off. And I think that's what this season is. It's like a transitional season. But you, if you take a good look and you look at what's out there on the field from a scheme standpoint and you know what's coming in these recruiting classes, you say to yourself, okay. You got something. Yeah, you might have something. So we'll talk about that next week and we'll see you after the game. Uh, probably close to 6 o'clock Eastern time. You know, that's 3 o'clock out there on the left coast. Out there on the left coast, that's about 3 p.m. Pacific. So we'll see you all Saturday for the wrap-up of Notre Dame and Toledo. All right? Mm -hmm. Lucky lefty, we spin it different.